What is going on? Welcome back. Episode 53 of the 3rd and 20 podcast. My name is Frank Entwistle. We've got the main man, the co-host himself, Mr. Steed. we got the new layout. Steed, what's going on? How you doing, dude? Dude, I'm doing solid and ready for today's episode. All right. This is like our fifth take trying to get this together. We've been having yeah. so many problems. So <laughs> Yeah, I've said the same exact words every time, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get this going. I can finally get into this segment. I've been waiting like a week and a half to do this. Steelers offense analysis. Um, how is this offense going to change under the new offensive coordinator, coordinator Matt Canada? How is Najee Harris going to impact this offense? The Muth as well. A little cheeky second-round pick in the Muth. So let's get into it. First things first. Steelers' offense, major problem last year was that they were not able to run the football. Right? It was weird for an 11-0 football team them not being able to run the football for about three-fourths of the season after the first couple mm-hmm. handful of games. And even the first handful of games, it was not efficient, right? They were getting mitigated a ton. They, they still were able to get over 100 yards and be an average running football team. Second yeah. half of the I, season. I remember, I remember Biddy Snow had 100 yards rushing in that first game against the Giants. And then I, I really don't remember another 100-yard rusher from that point on from that season yeah they had they had 100 yards the first couple of games and then after that it was just disaster right i mean they they had 100 yards against the texans but everyone had 100 yards against the texans um yeah but looking at matt so you know you fire randy finkner clearly the mo with matt canada is get this rushing offense at least to average get ben some help get the play action game back because ben can't do Mm -hmm. it all by himself He's just not able to anymore. Maybe years ago he was able to, but you're not going to be able to win a Super Bowl on the back of a 39, 40-year-old Ben Roethlisberger. It's clear as day. He's just not able to hang in the pocket that long. So this chart is showing Matt Canada's past offenses, all in college football. And it's clear, aside from 2013, running the football has been a huge priority for him. If we go to the percentage breakdowns, right, you've seen there are a couple offenses where 60% of their total yards, over 60%, is rushing yards, right? In 2012 with Wisconsin and 2018 with Maryland. 2016 and 2017 with Pittsburgh and LSU respectively, they had more rushing yards and passing yards. Yes, that was partly due to the personnel. Yes, that was partly due to the fact that in college football, you're just able to run the football easier than in the NFL, but they, they, this, this team needs to get back to running the football, and I'm hoping Matt Canada can do so. So how does he do it schematically? First things first, if you watch Matt Canada, if you've watched any of his previous games as an offensive coordinator, it is pre-snap movement city and post-snap movement. There is an, like an ass ton, and I mean like a metric ass ton of pre-snap movement in his offense. It's actually ridiculous. So here's the, a great example. 2016 against Clemson. This is a, Clemson's defense at its height, right? This is an insane mm-hmm. Clemson defense um, with all those dudes, Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and Cleland Farrell up front, right? So yeah, they're gonna, they, they just got like a 40-yard pass play, and they're going to hurry up to the line of scrimmage, try to get them in a base defense. So then all of a sudden, okay, we're going to – we're going to change our, our front. We got a 
a tackle over here lined up out wide. We got a tight end now at left tackle. Like, okay, really wacky look. So then you're going to get their line to shift. Okay, let's let's go back. We don't like that look. Let's go back. And we're going to have two tight ends now on the right side. So it's going to be a power to the right. So what they're going to do is you're going to get this Clemson D-line to shift back to the left, right? It makes sense. They're, they're power to left. You're going to get this motion to the right. Get you know try and fool these linebackers, but then you're going to get a run to the left. And what that did was, let me rewind this really quickly. What all this movement ended up doing is get this D line to shift to the left, so that we can create a numbers advantage, or shift to the right, so we can create a numbers advantage to the left. So what you're going to have, you're going to have a tackle one on one, just kicking out this D end. Then I believe it's a center and a guard. It might be a guard and a tackle. There's so much movement going on be able to go one-on-one -on -one against this linebacker and this safety so that there's every everyone's got a hat on a hat. There's no one mm -hmm. left to tackle James Conner on that side of the field. It's really creative stuff, and it's created with all of that pre-snap commotion going on, getting Clemson to shift their line the wrong direction so that they can create a numbers advantage. And you see this a lot in these Matt Canada offenses, and it's really fun to watch. So here's going to be an example of, of a similar thing where we're going to get a shift. And in this shift, instead of creating a numerical advantage, we're going to create a personnel advantage where we're going to take our tight end. And I think this is some sort of running back type, put them on the left, but we're going to have an unbalanced front with two tackles and a guard on the right side. And then, you know, we're going to motion our running back type back. This line doesn't adjust. And then all of a sudden, we're going to run jet sweep with a huge personnel advantage to the right side for a huge play. So speaking of the jet sweep, basically every single play in the Matt Canada offense has some sort of jet sweep tied to it. You will mm -hmm. not see a snap. You will rarely see a snap where some dude is not motioning for a jet sweep the possibility of some sort of jet sweep, maybe uh, aside from like third and longs where it's not really a threat. Every single time there is a situation where a jet sweep could be a threat. There's it, you're, you're going to get that look. So when you look at all their regular old runs, they have jet sweep looks right there. Jet sweeps tied to it. So you're going to get, this is just a basic little gap run to the right. And you have that jet sweep tied to it. And what this does, I also think you have the blocking for it as well, which is fun. You have the weak side. Yeah, you have the weak side of your line where the jet sweep would go. They always have the blocking ready for it. So they, it's not just this guy motioning out a lot of the time. You have that, whether it's a tight end or a tackle, also blocking for it, which you have to always have guys on your defense account for it. So then yeah, what exactly. they'll do, this is literally the very next play. This is the very next play. Oh, uh, no, it's not the very next play. I think this is two plays later. Sit really, basically the same look, but instead of two receivers on the same side, it's just balanced two by two, right? Well, now you're going to get the jet sweep. And they don't account for it, and Russell Gage is able to get a walk-in touchdown, untouched. And it is just a nuisance for defenses to have to deal with these jet sweeps. So, okay, what happens if you just tell your defensive ends, hey, play the jet sweep? 
hard commit to this jet sweep. So you're going to see here, Florida decides, hey, we're going to hard commit to this jet sweep. We're going to make sure that it gets shut down. Well, the very this is now the very next play. What Matt Canada does, he's one step ahead of these. It's a very if-then structure. We're going to run a counter right at this defensive end. We're going to let him, we're going to want him to fly upfield so that we can get one of our guys from the left side to trap this dude and get a wide-open counter. Running him right at that defensive end. It's brilliant because on these counter plays, you want that defensive end to fly upfield and play that jet sweep because it, it plays right into the blocking structure of this counter run. And if, if Darius Geist doesn't trip up on this play, if he doesn't trip up on his own offensive lineman a little bit, dude, that's one-on-one -on -one with a safety. He could easily be yeah, gone. easily breaking that for a touchdown. So what else does Matt Kennedy do? One of my favorite things that Matt Kennedy does, and this is one of the reasons why I now in like my dynasty leagues am much higher on Najee Harris than I was before, is that he does a really good job of setting up his running backs one-on-one -on -one against defensive backs. And if you looked at my running back analysis video a while back, you don't have to look at it, but long story short, one of my favorite things that I saw about Najee Harris is that one-on-one -on -one against defensive backs, he is extremely dangerous. That is where he breaks most of his tackles. So this is 2012 Wisconsin against Nebraska. This is the Big 12 championship, I believe. What they're going to do is they're going to have what looks exactly like a zone split, right? Where you're going to have this tight end. Let me see if I can pull up the pen here. Yeah. This tight end on classic zone split zone run is going to kick out this D end, right? You're going to kick this guy out. All these linemen are stepping to the right, blocking down a traditional zone run. And this running back is running to the right. And if he sees a cutback lane, he's going to hit it. Right? Simple stuff. Uh, shift clear. Yeah, there we go. But instead, this is really brilliant because this defensive end and this out, outside linebacker basically have all this contain unless you want your Monty Ball right here, one of the nation's top rushers at the time, one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. against this corner. There's a lot of pressure on these guys on an outside run to contain. So what Matt Canada ends up calling is that they have like this counter tied to this split zone concept where instead of running your classic split zone, this tight end is going to come out here, but he's going to seal this edge inside. And then you're going to motion this line, this, this receiver inside to crack this linebacker, which is going to create Monty ball one-on-one -on -one with this corner, which is a huge matchup advantage for, for Wisconsin here. So let's get it run here. And this is exactly what I want to see with Najee Harris in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because if this is Najee Harris, dude, you could go look at all his highlights, like especially against Notre Dame, where he's hurdling yeah. D-backs, he's trucking them, juking them out. They have no answers for him. And this is exactly the type of concepts that Najee Harris would excel in. And this is the type of concepts that would give the Steelers some sort of identity outside of quick passing. So, yeah, this is perfect for Najee Harris. I actually said, I quoted in my analysis, he's at his best in one-on-one -on -one scenarios against defensive backs 
will win around eight out of ten times in those scenarios in space. It's yeah, exactly what the Steelers need. And that's what they were missing with their current or last year's backfield with James Conner and and Anthony McFarland and uh, Benny Snell and Snell. all those guys. They just weren't really that dangerous in space. They were all right when you were just, hey, listen, let's just plug it up the middle. They get you two or three yards, but we really couldn't get any dynamic runs outside of James Conner. And he was inconsistent the entire season. So how else does this scheme really help Najee Harris? Well, the one thing that I was really scared of with Najee Harris, a system him going into, was a team that's just going to run 80 to 90% of their runs just zone blocking concepts, right? Like you've seen with the Rams a couple of years ago with Gurley. It was 60-50% of their runs outside zone, then the other 30% inside zone, and then the other 10% is obviously the other run concepts, but they were basically basically scheme dependent, depending on if we get a specific look, yeah, we'll run this blocking concept because we're creating a numbers advantage. I was scared of Najee Harris going into that type of system because I thought at Alabama, he did a really good job reading second level defenders, right? Mainly the linebackers. And he did a really good job on duo runs, power, counter, which are all these gap running schemes. And Matt Canada has done has shown in, in his previous offenses really nice balance between running zone and gap concepts. So here's an example of just your classic pin and pull. Let's get the pen back. Oh, pen, pen where are you at? There you go. We're just going to get a pin on this defensive end, and then we're pulling these guys around. Come on, clear. And this is just a nice little power concept, pretty basic stuff. And I think that Najee Harris and the Steelers personnel really fit this type of run. I mean, we've been trying to do it, and it just hasn't worked with the personnel we had last year. Now that you have Najee Harris, you draft a couple of offensive linemen. You replace Marquise Pouncey, who was kind of washed towards the end of the season. I think that we can finally get back to this power football. And it'll really help out Najee Harris and the Steelers. So here's duo, right? Najee Harris is great on duo. I'll actually show it with the Steelers first. So this is one of Najee Harris's favorite run concepts is duo. So duo, you're going to get two double teams on the interior defensive linemen, and they're going to work to the linebackers. And the running back's job is to read the flow of these linebackers, right? We're, we're running it. You can see this hole, right? Right in the A-gap. If they spill, then we're cutting it back. If they plug, then we're bouncing, and then if not, we're just shoving it right up the A-gap. We're just going down Main Street. And the whole theory, right, you get your your shoulders square to the hole and run it up here because we're getting these double teams working to the linebackers. And you can see Benny Snell does not run the play. He wants to bounce it. And, yeah, there's a hole here, but the play is designed to go right up Main Street. Just take the yards, man. Take the yards. And, I mean, as many Steelers runs, it didn't work. <laughs> you know, common theme from last year. Here's another example. Here's James Conner this time. We're running duo. Here, there's a huge lane for a cutback. You could do a bounce here because both these linebackers are plugging the A-gap. But as many Steelers runs were last year, didn't read the second-level defenders correctly. Mm-hmm. What is Najee Harris's best run concept, and what is his biggest strength? 
His best run, run concept, at least from my analysis, was duo and his biggest strength, reading these second-level defenders. I went over this in my last analysis. Here's duo. You can see it. Let me rewind it real quick because that was really fast. Look at these linebackers. They're going to spill over the top. I think that's Patrick Queen. Spills over the top, creates a huge cutback lane. Here's an even clearer example against Auburn in 2020, last season. You're reading these linebackers. Where are they moving? Where are they flowing? They spill over the top. You see this linebacker? He spills over the top, creates a massive cutback lane. Split-second decision, he's able to see and read these, read these linebackers. He's really good at it. And this is exactly what the Steelers have needed for so long. So I think here's some more examples of the Steelers running backs last year kind of sucking at reading second-level defenders on duo. So this is duo here. You're not going to get the second double team here because the linebacker shoots the gap, right? So David DeCastro is responsible for this linebacker. If he shoots the gap, you kind of have to adjust on the fly. I forget the exact blocking terms. Look, you see this linebacker. It's clear as day. You can see him. Just, just watch him. Come on. Look at this linebacker. Spills way over the top. Look what it creates. Massive cutback lane. Obviously, as many Steelers runs, James Conner didn't hit it. It's not a terrible run. You got like two yards, but you had an opportunity for a huge play. Mm -hmm. Here's another example. This isn't duo. This is just, I think, it, dude, this is honestly, this blocking is so trash. It's hard to tell what run concept this is. It looks just like inside zone to the left. But Anthony McFarland just cut off the back of David DeCastro here. Like you find the initial hole, great. But reading these second-level defenders and these second-level blocks, dude, you have a massive play, one-on-one -on -one against the safety, possibly for a touchdown, if you cut this off the back of your all-pro guard. But, of course, he doesn't. And it's like a four-yard run. Like, it's not a terrible run, but you can see the reason why the Steelers were just like, no, we're not going to run the football. It's not there. What's the point? Yeah, might as well not do it. So, okay. Aside from being able to run duo much better than the current slew of Steelers running backs, I think the other thing that will really help Najee Harris out in the system is his receiving ability. So this is something that I really like for Matt Hanna, and they're running this with Monte Ball. Imagine this is a running back with the receiving ability in Najee Harris. So you're going to start off, you're going to have quads to the right. Then you're going to motion all these tight ends or whoever these guys are, whether they're running backs, fullbacks, or tight ends. They look like a bunch of tight ends. Now you're going to motion it to trips left. Now you're going to motion Monte Ball out to make it quads left. So what you essentially did was that you take your initial look. Let me see if I can get back. Your initial look, right? You have quads to the right with your receiver, your number one receiver out to the left. And now you create the same look. But with Monte Ball, I'm pretty sure he's going to be matched up one-on-one -on -one against the linebacker here. Yeah, he's going to be matched up one-on-one -on -one against the linebacker, quads left. This is perfect for Najee Harris. I mean, you saw mm -hmm. him. I can, I wish I had the LSU clip where he does that. He catches that back shoulder touchdown against Patrick Queen against LSU. Like, yeah, dude, I know exactly what he's playing. 
Yeah. Najee Harris is going to burn most linebackers one-on-one. That's why he got drafted number 24 overall, at least one of the prime reasons. He's insanely athletic and has really good body control. Matt Canada, if he's able to create these matchups with these pre-snap motions and pre-snap looks that confuses defenses, this could be huge for Najee Harris, not only for the Steelers, but for his fantasy production. This could create some serious mm-hmm. receiving production. So, yeah, I think they actually do try to throw it to him. They just try to hit him vertically. Okay, they don't get one-on-one up top. But you can see the potential in in their looks. And then clearly, you know, other classic receiving examples. Here's an example from last year where you're going to get a sprint right, halfback in the flat. Najee Harris will easily be able to make a living off of these types of concepts. Okay, let me get out of here. Um... All in all, I think that Najee Harris in the Steelers is a really, really good fit for this offense. It's a really, really good fit for Matt Canada. Matt Canada has a great track record with talented running backs and maximizing their production. But there's a problem, but there's a catch. The first thing is that with all this pre-snap motion, with all this guys moving left, right, center, For defenses to respect all this motion, you have to give these guys the football. And that means that they're going to take carries and and targets away from Najee Harris. These jet sweeps that are tied to basically every single run in Matt Canada's playbook are going to get called and going to get called a lot more than they were last year. Which means that it's not just going to be Najee Harris outside zone 25, 30 times a game like some of these other, like Derrick Henry's getting, right? Mm-hmm. It, I, I just don't think it's going to be that. Let me actually pull up this this chart. I can prove it to you. Let me zoom out. Bang. Okay, so I looked at, in Matt Canada's previous offenses, the percentage of running back one carries that the number the, the highest producing running back got in Matt Canada offenses. The highest total percentage, which was Monte Ball in Wisconsin, he only got 57% of the total carries of that offense, which was easily the highest. Even running backs, freaking Darius Geis at LSU, 43%. James Conner at Pittsburgh, 41%. If you want to compare him to someone like Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh, which people are expecting him to, to get that type of workload, Le'Veon Bell got 73.5% of the carries, 69% of the carries. Nice. 64% of the carries. All these seasons, which were his best seasons, which were much higher than Matt Canada has ever given his number one running back. Yeah, that's interesting to think because I'm looking back at those college teams he had. Do you think it has to do with, like, Monte Bowl, we talked about earlier, he played in that – very competitive running back room, right? With yeah, James well, Wyatt and... So that's the caveat, right? Is that okay, well let's look at the running back. He had the the talent in his um in his running back rooms to split up these carries, right? Okay, you have Monte Ball, James White, and Melvin Gordon. Obviously you're gonna get all three of these guys involved. You know, James Connor, Quadri Henderson was a talented receiver who you were gonna give carries to. But at the same time, I, I don't really expect especially with all this motion stuff, all these jet sweeps, Claypool did not get more than like 10 carries. 
for um, Deontay Johnson to not get more than two or three or four carries on the season, right? I expect mm-hmm. all of their workloads to improve to complement all of this movement, right? It's just even if Najee Harris gets 60% of the workload, I've calculated that already. He'll get about 245 carries. If he gets 4.3 yards per carry, he'll get 1,050 yards. Okay, if you account for the 17th game, that's 257 carries and 1,100 yards. That's at 60% of the total carries of this offense at 4.3 yards per carry, which is – and that's using the average of these Le'Veon Bell seasons, right, mm-hmm. for, the, for the amount of carries the Steelers used in those years. I feel like that's a pretty favorable – this is just the rushing production, by the way. That's a pretty favorable outlook. To look at it that way. I mean, way. that would be a great rookie season. Yeah, that would be. But yeah. is he going to get 260 carries and average 4.3 yards per carry behind a Steelers offensive line that's probably ranked bottom 10 in run blocking right now? If you look at like PFF charts and all that, it's just a lot to ask for, right? It's just, is he even going to break that 60% of the total carries looking at the film and looking at the offense and what Matt Canada has done historically? And it's not like he he doesn't have other talented running backs. I mean, three of the of the guys in that running back room, he's already coached. He's coached mm-hmm. um, Anthony McFarland. He's coached Jalen Samuels, and he's coached Derek Watt. And you might be saying, oh, Derek Watt, scoffing him because he's a fullback. Dude, you look at that Wisconsin tape. He used Derek Watt. It's not like yeah. Derek Watt wouldn't get some carries. And even if it's only 10 to 15 touches on the season, that's still taken away 10 to 15 touches from Najee Harris, which could make or break him being the RB1 that he is drafted to be right now. So, okay, what else? Um, let me get to this sheet of paper. Yeah, so like the bell cow percentages that people are, are drafting him to have, historically just haven't happened in these Matt Canada offenses. It didn't happen last year. It didn't happen in 2012. It didn't happen in any of these years. We just showed it. So you are kind of drafting a running back in a Matt Canada offense to be something that is unprecedented in his offense, which isn't terribly impossible. It's just you're just you're drafting something that's not happened before right? Mm-hmm. In his rookie season, might I add, with a coach that has a bunch of running backs he's already coached before that might know the system better day one. Um, the last thing is that Najee Harris is going to be used as a decoy more in this system than in other systems. It's just going to happen. With all this misdirection and, and all this motioning around, Najee Harris is going to be the focal point for defenses to stop which means that Matt Canada is going to use him as the eye candy in a lot of this. A lot of this, it's going to be the jet sweeps are the eye candy, and Najee Harris is the eye candy. And they're going to use play action. They're going to use shovel passes to guys like the Muth and Eric Ebron and Claypool when they're lined up inside, or probably Juju. All these dudes. So once again, that just takes away from some of the production that Najee Harris could have. And when you're going to compare him numbers-wise, to Najee, not Najee Harris, to Derrick Henry. Yeah, Derrick Henry's used as a decoy, but it's either play action or we're shoving it up the gut with Derrick Henry. There's really no in-between. 
this <laughs> offense is going to be a lot more creative than that Tennessee offense was last season. It's just mm -hmm. that's how Matt Canada rolls. That you look at the film, that's just what he does. So all of that combined just to me limits his chances of being that top running back that he's drafted right now. So my prediction, I think that his ceiling prediction, his ceiling projection for me is kind of similar to David Montgomery's numbers last season, where he's going to get 240 carries, get just north of 1,000 yards on the year. Um, but the real X factor is the receiving work. Because everyone mm -hmm. knows us, we just showed it. He was drafted for it. He's a phenomenal receiver. Yes. And that is what you need for Najee Harris to be a true RB1 in fantasy football and what is going to separate him from being just an above-average back to being an elite running back. I agree. You got any thoughts, Steve, on all this? I mean, I, I like what you said, like using him as a decoy or – in this role, he's going to be used as more as a decoy. I feel like, honestly, that opens up the playbook a lot for the Steelers because, you know, in the past, especially last year, you know, with the running game being non-existent, especially after the first quarter of the season, you know, it was kind of – it was easy for defenses kind of sniff out what they were trying to do, even if Najee Harris is not on that 1,100-yard uh, projection. You know, his receiving skills – or just him being the decoy could still help the offense tremendously. Yeah, I think the last thing that I wanted to mention in terms of his receiving output is that I really don't think he's going to be one of those Alvin Kamara-like receivers where yeah, he's no. getting 8 to 10 targets a game, you know, good 5 to 6 catches, and basically put up half running back, half receiver numbers. But... I do think that Najee Harris will be put in positions to make big chunk plays in the receiving mm -hmm. game, whether it be for touchdowns or whether it be vertically down the field, because that's the thing that I think separates Najee Harris as a receiver from even someone like Travis Etienne is that vertically down the field against anyone, even good coverage players like nickel defenders, safeties, and corners, he is a threat. Right, If you want to throw a 50-50 ball to Najee Harris against a smaller defender, he can go up and win that 50-50 ball, yeah. which you just don't get in a lot of other of these classic receiving backs. Right, like You're not going to go and throw up a 50-50 ball against a corner to Travis Etienne. That's just a death sentence in the NFL. Even in yeah, college, no. it's probably a death sentence. But Najee Harris is able to do that. That's the skill set that he brings. So in terms of being an X factor as a receiver, red zone plays. Is he going to one-on-one against a linebacker? You might throw him a fade. You might say, dude, we're going to throw you a fade. We might throw you a slant. So that's what will separate Najee Harris to be an RB1. So if you're projecting him to be a Derrick Henry-type workload guy, I would be skeptical, and I wouldn't be drafting him for that. I would be drafting him to say, hey, this dude, once red zone comes, he's going to be a touchdown machine. He's going to be a big play machine in the receiving game. And he's mm -hmm. going to bring an element to the Steelers' offense that they just haven't had in years. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the offense would be – it's going to take a huge step forward with now Najee Harris at the helm. All right. All in all, really excited for Matt Canada. 
Really excited to see the creativity that he will bring to the Steelers because it really does feel like Matt Canada has that potential to be one of those really creative run schemers. That's the one that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I really saw on this analysis that I was excited about as a Steelers fan was I see some of these teams. I think the Saints are the best example with Sean Payton, where you see the little nuanced stuff where yeah. Okay, we're gonna create we're gonna use this personnel grouping to create this look up front so that we can get a favorable leverage for our left guard, right? For a double team to work to a linebacker that sets a talented running back like Alvin Kamara free for a big play. I feel like Matt Canada, compared to all the other offensive coordinators we've had recently, is the one dude that in his run schemes brings that level of creativity to the offense. Whereas the other guys, they tried to be creative in the passing game. And, you know, last year, for example, right? Last year, Randy Finkner, they they had some of that Matt Canada stuff to start off. They had a lot of that, oh, jet sweep. You saw Claypool would put up big touchdowns on on these Mm -hmm. jet sweeps. And and they they were confusing defense and it worked. But then after like the first three or four games, it got stale. And it just felt like the Steelers just kept running, oh, well, we went from having a really nice balanced running attack where we're using a bunch of different concepts to, okay, it's 60% zone. And then the next 40% is just a bunch of power. And we lost that creativity that using these motions and jet sweep looks to create a favorable matchup. It just wasn't happening. And then they just didn't run the ball at the end of the year and just, only through quick passes. They just gave up on it. So I'm hoping that we can get that more balanced attack, that creative run scheme that we saw early in the season and that we've seen, especially in like the Wisconsin days of Matt Canada, when he had a team that in total rushed for like 3,000 plus rushing yards. Yeah, that's absurd. (laughs) It's insane. I mean, dude, you could make the argument, even though Monte Ball was really good, Darius Geis was really good, James Conner was really good, Najee Harris could easily be the most talented running back that Matt Canada has worked with. And he's had great track record with these guys. Why not us? Why not Najee Harris? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a huge Najee guy, especially when he's in open space, man. He makes he makes people look stupid. I I, I think he'll be a tremendous back. Yeah, that, that's the MO of this offense is get Najee Harris one-on-one against D-backs in space. He'll make things happen. All right, we're moving on. Do you want to do the your top 10 list or do you want to do the over-unders first? We can hit the over-unders first. All right, over-under season, baby. We are in prime over-under season swing. We have the NFC East, the oh, grimy, gosh. grindy, who knows what the fuck is going to happen, NFC East? You don't know what's going to happen in this division. You never do. As Steed likes to say, this is the division where it's just a race to 10. Who can, last year was like a race to seven. It was yeah, like, you got seven, got seven wins seven wins. last year, you won the division. <laughs> I, it's always with this division. It doesn't matter. It's this, so weird. This division, I forget exactly what the stat is, but it's like, I know it's at least in the past 10 years. I think it's even more. They have not had a repeat division winner, which is Mm. pretty ridiculous. So last year, the division winner was the Washington football team. Their over-under was five wins. 
we both took the over and we're clowning ourselves after because we're just like, what the hell are we thinking? This is a team that has like the second lowest line in the NFL. It hit. They made the playoffs. Let's start with them. Ron Rivera and the Washington football team, best name in football, six and a half. Is it? No, it's eight. Six and a half. Yeah, I was about it's to say eight dang, wins. Six and a half. Hammering that. Yeah, eight wins for the Washington football team. Man, this is like right on the money. I, I'm going to throw this one to you, dude. What are you thinking on eight wins for the Washington football team? You got an extra game, too. You got an extra game. You do have the extra game. So the thing is, I love. I, I love Ron Rivera. You know, he was a big, huge in that culture change and what they went through with the whole, you know, ownership and what was going on there. And for him the to come out last fiesta. year. A yeah, professional was, clown fiesta. And, and, like, we took over even knowing that. But we put our trust in Ron Rivera. We put our trust in that front seven they had, and it panned out. And you got to think that front seven just got even better because they drafted a guy from Kentucky. What's his name? Uh, John Jamil. Davis. Yeah, ja- John great Davis. little pick there. That defense and, is absurd. And at the end of the day, I don't really care. Right, Like, Fitzpatrick, you know, he's going to have his – Fits magic games where he throws 400 yards, four touchdowns, and looks like an MVP. And then he's going to have those games where he throws 120 yards with three picks. But even now, though, if he does have those games, I still think they'll be in those games because of this defense. I think the defense just got a little better. I know they lost Darby, their corner or two, I'm pretty sure. But I still love this team to compete in this division. And if I have to bank on them just – I mean, eight, that, that's an easy push for me. I don't see them losing less. I know they'll have a harder schedule because it's a first-place schedule. But I'm just going to do what I did last year. I'm going to buy into that defense and hope they carry me to nine or ten wins. Yeah, so uh, this is a really tough one to pick. I'm also going to go over because I really like the defense. I thought that the Washington football team was one of the clear winners from the draft. They took a bunch of yeah. players that I really liked. Um, John and Davis, like you said in the first round, I mean, me and you were both on the train that we thought that John and Davis was easily a first-round pick. To me, he reminded me a lot of Leighton Vander Esch, who the Cowboys yeah. took at 19 16. or 20 that year. Or, yeah, something like that. Something like that. And he played – you know, he was a, the type of guy extremely athletic – rangy and made a day one impact for that defense. I think that John Davis has that same potential. And you look at his film from Kentucky, it is really some good stuff what he was able to do for that Kentucky defense. You pick up Diami Brown and Samuel Cosme, two more yeah. guys that have a ton of potential and could make a day one impact. And then even later in the draft, they pick up one of my favorite low-key corners in Benjamin St. Juice, who I think also has the potential to make a day one impact that corner. You know, man, like Cameron Curl was a really good little pickup last year for you. You pick up William Jackson from Cincinnati, an underrated corner. You still have Kendall Fuller. Like, holy crap, this defense is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it'll be top three in the league easily. You know, you, you filled in. Sweat and oh, yeah. Chase Young. <laughs> Insane. And Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Deron some more first-round picks. Like, Dude, you, the more you look at this roster, it's like this team has the best roster in this division, probably one I of the better so. rosters in the NFC. Um, you, you pick up Curtis Samuel. 
in free agency, right? Like a nice little wide receiver pickup. Like they are stacked at every position. They even have two quarterbacks that I like in Taylor Heineke and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm still saying don't count out Taylor Heineke. Saw a report the other day that he's all right. I'm taking the over. Um, Man, it's hard to be confident in it because – because of it's the NFC quarterback East. situation and because it's the NFC East, you never know what's going to happen in these division games. But anything under nine and a half, I have to take the over. I think they, this team has all the tools to succeed. They just needed to put it together. So I'm taking the over. Let's go on. I'm, we're, we'll go Cowboys now. Cowboys over under nine and a half. It was it's down half a game from last year at ten. We both hit the under last year, which hit. I'm gonna go first here. I'm gonna hit the under again. This is a team I I don't hate the Cowboys. And I think that the Cowboys are a team that when you doubt them is when they are at their best. True. I like Dak Prescott. I think that Dak Prescott is an elite-level quarterback. But they're basically on the exact opposite end of the spectrum from the Washington football team. This is a team that I think has a lot of similar problems to what the Chargers have had recently, where you look at their roster on paper, and you look at the starting lineup and their stud players, and you're like, wow, this team is really good. Like, Why, why can't this team be a powerhouse? But then once you deal with the general adversity that every single team ever deals with in football, where you have starters get injured, it happens no matter what. The yeah. the the up next players, the backups, the guys that need to fill in, you don't get good contributions from these guys. And not only that, they play at a very below average level a lot of the time. Dude, th- these Cowboys teams in 2015 and 2016, the really elite level Cowboys teams, we're getting guys that would come up from the end of the roster and make contributions in these football games and become reliable players for this football team. I haven't really seen that a ton from these Cowboys teams, especially on their defensive line. I know they had a lot of issues on that group last year, and they, they tried to sign some veterans, and it didn't work out. Mike McCarthy, I don't really know what I'm getting out of him anymore. It really feels like he's just yesterday's news in terms of the good off, good offensive coaches and just good coaches in general. Nine and a half, I just think is too high for this team. Even at nine, I would question it. Nine and a half, I think it's an easy under for me. I, I'm, I'm gonna agree with you. Nine and a half is a lot, and I mean, I always kind of like rooting for the Cowboys too. I know that getting down. You're a low key Cowboys be... fan. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I, I you like are, that a lot. you are. Just admit it, dude. Because they went, they were winning me money. Like, like you said, when everybody was doubting them, they went, they weren't, weren't favorites. And I was like, dude, like this team is like not that bad on paper. That was like Leighton Vanderess's rookie year too. Yeah. And but again, like that defense was so much better back then. And with Micah Parsons, is he going to change that defense? Yeah, probably a little bit, but. That secondary is still a question mark for me. I just think if you know if you're a quarterback going into Dallas or you see Dallas on the schedule, you're licking your chops saying, oh, "Okay, this is where I can throw 400 yards for." And especially, you know, <laughs> you know who their new DC is, right? Yeah, it's Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn. I mean, I don't think he's coached a good defense since 20. What was the last last year of the Legion of Boom? I mean, I don't think he's coached a good defense since 2014. So you. And it's not like any of these players have the 
the capability of being like a Legion of Boom. Maybe Michael Parsons with a Bobby Wagner, maybe, but like I'm still just not buying into that defense. I think the as long as Dak is healthy, I think he's a shoe in for comeback player of the year. And they're going to be competitive. You saw at the end of the year, they actually started winning some games. We're in the division race for last last week. I mean, all you had to do is have five wins and you were in the race. But technically, they did play better, had some good games. I'm just with you. I think Mike McCarthy's yesterday's news, just how young the league is now, like I, or like, you know, how young these new coaches are coming in, having their different, like, spill in the game. Am I going to get a top 10 running back out of Zeke anymore? Probably not. That's more on the decline. I'm just out. I, I mean, Dak, I could see him throwing for 6,000 yards this season, though. I mean, if I'm buying stock into a receiver for fantasy, I'm looking at the C.D. Lamb. Yeah, but if there's one thing that I think recent years have proven, it's that having a team, having a passing attack that gets a lot of yards does not lead to wins. Right, oh, if, no. if you oh, trust me, I, that come, I know that firsthand <laughs> with the Falcons. Well, yeah, Matt the Falcons have been one of the teams. They're always top five. Matt Finn's top five in the, every year in passing, and then here we are at four and 12. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just means that you're playing behind, you know? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so, like, congratulations. Go ahead. Throw the ball for 6,000 yards, but your defense has given up 7,000 touchdowns. So, I mean, I'm rooting for Dan Quinn in that defense. I, I will root for him, you know. I'm not rooting against the Cowboys. I just – I'm not buying him to win 10 games and yeah, win this I just, division. I can't do that. Well, you see, like, it's kind of the – and I'm not even saying football – because football team has, like, a low-key pretty good offense on their hands where they're going to be able to move the ball. It just depends on quarterback play. Like, Cowboys have the quarterback play. But, you know, when I look at the defensive end, I can see if – the offense is not on its game that day. The defense could keep you in the ball game. I don't know if that defense for the Cowboys, unless like they just like write up some magical scheme and like just play out of their minds that day, that you know they can't keep up. They picked up Israel Mukwamu. Maybe he can get a, a couple of three pick games. Yeah, you know, against like Tom Brady or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't buy it. Especially from some of the tape that I mean, they picked up Keanu Neal and and um, Demonte Casey. But what are you trying to do? Recreate the Falcons? Like, yeah, I know. I was about to say, what are we doing over here? We're we gonna do the Falcons because that worked so well with Dan Quinn the first time around. I mean, love Keanu and love well, Casey got a little bad rap last year. He did get hurt very early, and I, I think like he's Casey. a he's a good little player. I think he's a good safety. You know, a couple years ago he led the league in picks, but. Keanu, like, Keanu's a shell of himself, what he is. He's lost a step or two after that Achilles. And, like, which, you know, what player doesn't come back from, unless you're Kevin Durant, you're not coming back from an Achilles injury and being, like, the same guy, you know. Like, it's just, uh, I see how Cowboys fans can get excited by some of these signings. I just wouldn't put my put all my eggs in the, the basket on, like, this defense. Yeah, I, I do think that the Cowboys could easily be a better team than they were last year. I think they'll be better, yes. I think this division will be a lot more competitive than it was. Like, last year they were competitive, but, like, competitively better, you know, where teams are, like, actually going to go over 500. I'm just looking at this team. I'm looking at the coaching staff, and I'm I'm pinning this team at, like, eight or nine wins. I'm it's not, Mike McCarthy for me. I'm not pinning this team at an 11 or 10-win team. Like, 11 wins, like, dude – the Cowboys would have to go out there and play really well to win 11 games. And this defense would have to take 
two, three steps forward from last year. I just um, think what Jerry Jones is waiting to do is, you know, if it doesn't work this year, Mike McCarthy, he's going to get rid of him, and he's going to go straight to Lincoln Riley's office at Oklahoma and just try to give him the bag. And it's like, Doesn't dude. it feel like this is Mike McCarthy's last year with the Cowboys? I, I don't know why I'm, I'm just, getting I, that feeling. I, I like I was getting that feeling in the last year. I was like, I can see Jerry Jones getting rid of him now. But, you know, I think he – went off like they did start playing better. Now, granted, they went through a lot of watermelons at the end of last year to get back into it. <laughs> but I, I, I have that yeah, feeling, for the, too. Wait, real of, quick, for those who don't know, there, we went over a report on a previous podcast where Mike McCarthy, apparently to pump the team up, was smashing watermelons with sledgehammers. Don't know about that. Um, but, you know, the end of, like, Mike McCarthy's, like, time and for Green Bay, it kind of feels like it's – that same kind of feeling for like Dallas and it, what I get from a fill out from the fans that, you know, they're not truly buying into it. I think they're, or at least him, they're buying more into just like Dak Prescott and the top in talent of the team and just praying everyone stays healthy. Yeah. No, I feel you on that. I don't hate the Cowboys, but 10 wins is just too much for me. Let's move on to the giants, the Giantos. They're over under is placed at seven. I think I know what both of us are going to say. We're hitting this over. I mean, this is yeah. our Hooters team. Seven wins. Man, I, I'll i tell you what. I really liked what I saw with the Giants at the end of last season. It's just the only question mm-hmm. is Daniel Jones. Are we going to get a Daniel Jones that is able to not turn the football over and score touchdowns and win football games? That's the question. I don't know. To be honest, like, there were some games last year where I'm like, dude, give me Nathan Peterman. All right, not actually, but that's what it feels like. You, dude, I look at that Bears game from last year, and it is atrocious, Daniel Jones. Mm. I like Daniel Jones coming out. I still kind of believe in Daniel Jones. But I, I believe in him. I don't think you can be blind to some of the stuff that he's put out on tape the past couple of seasons and how poor he has played at times. Because for every single time you've seen the flashes of Daniel Jones, you get two games of piss-poor performance from Daniel Jones. But this is a roster that is ready to win now. Their free agent signings and their off-seasons I thought was fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Dude, this, this is a good team. Back. This is a good team. Like You talk about the Washington football team being just that roster that's, that's ready to be good, that's just a playoff team that needs a quarterback play. The Giants are in the same spot, and you get a whole game less on the price. Yeah, I'm easily in this. This is my favorite. This is my team to win this division. I I believe that. I, like you said, I think the roster is fully, but it depends on Daniel Jones, and this is really – and I loved all – I liked all the Giants' moves this offseason, and I thought they had a good draft. I'm pretty sure they even drafted, you know – they go. They needed a little more, maybe another edge rusher, and they got a talented one in Aziz Ojolari. You know, like he can. He, I don't know about day one impact, but he could definitely make an impact on this team, and especially lining up on the other side of Leonard Williams. But going back to Daniel Jones, th- this is a team that you know when Teddy Bridgewater was get, had wanted to get traded or like reached out that he wanted to be gone after the Sam Darwin trade. This is a team that I would, if I was them, I, I would have jumped over it. Not He doesn't have to come in and start, but like more for Daniel Jones to say, hey, man, you don't have your place like set here. If you start playing like you do, like just inconsistent ball the whole time, you know, we're going to put in a quarterback that's going to at least 
give us a chance to win at the end of the day with this team because we think this team can do it. Now, kind of the same thing we were saying about Mike McCarthy, kind of feels like that last year unless he performs. That's it with Daniel Jones, too. If he doesn't perform this year, you got to think he is out. No, I 100% agree. Um, it's actually funny that you mentioned Sam Darnold because I know a lot of people were saying, oh, why do we pass on Justin Fields and all that? And, I mean, no one's saying it for Mac Jones, but I think it should be said if, if you're making the same argument for Justin Fields. But, dude, rookie quarterback has never won the Super Bowl. They haven't even made it to a Super Bowl. So I think that if you're drafting a rookie to win a Super Bowl this year, dude, you're be way better off with Daniel Jones. Now, I like the move yeah. that they made, though, because they traded down with Chicago, picked up an extra first-round pick. So now you, you sign Mike Glennon, who's a guy that I understand he's not the sexiest player ever, but for a backup quarterback, he's good. And he play, he had some good games for the for the Jaguars last year. Um, dude, I, I think the Giants played their cards perfectly. Now that I'm thinking about it, unless you can trade for Aaron Rodgers, which if I'm Dave Gettleman, I am – really gonna try hard to do because you get Aaron Rodgers you're the second favorite oh, yeah. right you're you're oh, and yeah. you're up there with the with the Bucks um yeah but now if if the Daniel Jones experiment fails dude I've got a ton of draft capital to go ahead and either trade up for my quarterback you know trade for a quarterback I've got a lot of maneuverability because I just picked up the Bears first round pick Dude, it's the freaking Bears, all right? <laughs> they could go out there and be the new Texans for all for all that matter. I, I would not be shocked at all. all right, not actually, but, dude, it's Matt Nagy. I, I, don't, I don't trust Matt Nagy. I don't believe in Matt Nagy. I don't think he's a terrible coach, but I, I just I think, think he's, like he's not really Shanahan. a dude with a, with a huge – with a great plan. I think he's just kind of winging it every week. I mean, I like Joe Judge more than I do Nagy. 100%. And then, that's the last – Part about this team, I think that their coaching staff is there. Jason I mean, Garrett Jason gets Garrett. a lot of shit. I thought he did a great job last year looking oh, at yeah. the tape of the Giants games. For Joe Judge, that, what were you going to say? For a team that, yeah, for a team that couldn't run and because of the bad O line, and you saw the O line play get better. But Jason Garrett, I know like Saquon was out, but you saw Wayne Gallman put up some really good numbers, yeah. and you saw Zeke. Zeke Zeke drop off after Jason Garrett left, so maybe he just has a feel for that. Now you get Saquon easily, probably the most talented back in the league, with a you know not a half blind like offensive line that can actually compete. I mean, with Jason Garrett, he could put up video game numbers. Do you want to hear something funny? Jason Garrett, um, in the last five or in the last seven seasons has twice as many top five rushing offenses as Mike McCarthy in his entire career. I mean, I, I just don't understand when Cowboys fans, like, are getting hyped for Mike McCarthy. Like, if I'm Zeke, I'm like, no, dude. Like, this is terrible. Like, when was the last time a running back, like, put up great numbers for Mike McCarthy? I mean, he just said it, like – Eddie Lacy, I think, had some good years. Um, but even Before so, like, dude, it took to Mike a... McCarthy leaving to take Aaron Jones to that elite running back level. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just don't trust it. I, I yeah, don't think I don't Mike mean... McCarthy's terrible. I think he's a good coach. It's just, you, dude, you I compare him to all kinda... these other guys. It's just he's yesterday's news. Yeah. All right, the let's stop the Mike McCarthy slander. <laughs> Um, let's move on to the last. So we're both taking the over for the Giants. Let's move on to the last team. It's the Eagles. 
The Philadelphia Eagles placed at six and a half total wins. For me, this was tough. This is really tough because I am not a huge Eagles guy. I don't know about the Nick Sirianni hire. To be completely honest, I don't trust Nick Sirianni. If if I'm picking head coaches down the list, he's bottom five. Like mm-hmm. he's proven nothing to me. I think their front office made some huge mistakes and are way too power hungry, right? But there is one man that gives me hope. And that man's name is Jalen Hurts. (laughs) Because looking at Jalen Hurts' film a couple weeks ago, my God, for a rookie quarterback, mentally speaking, this guy, like, has it. And Mm -hmm. if there's anyone that's going to, like, just carry a team, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. And I'm not asking you to carry a team to the playoffs. I'm asking you just to be 500. I think this team has the talent to be fine. Dude, you look at their offense on paper. They add Landon Dickerson and Devontae Smith. Like, in terms of just two picks in the draft, that's two top 20 talents in the draft for me. Dude, this is tough. This is a lot tougher than I think people really think. Right? I, I know exactly what I'm going. I really don't want to hit the over, though, because I just don't trust the organization. I think I'm going to do it, though. I think I'm going to take the bait. I hit the over last year. Uh, what are you thinking? What do you want? What are you taking? See, when you were talking about the dysfunction of like the organization and the coaching hire and just maybe not having all the pieces, it kind of feels like that same kind of football team where we talked about last year. And I was like, I don't know why I'm going to do it, but I'm going to take the over. You know, just give me seven wins. Seven and ten for this Eagles team, and we're saying Jalen Hurts is going to be the guy, and I actually love their draft. And you get a number one playmaker for him, Devontae Smith, and I think their defense is going to be all right. You know, they'll figure out some holes there and keep them in games. I think there's going to be a competitive team, and I wouldn't find it shocking if they win seven games. I mean, dude, they start week one against the Falcons. Like, come on. (laughs) like. (laughs) I'm taking the uh, over. I'm I'm gonna go ballsy here. I'm gonna take the over. I'm taking three overs, so I know one of those. I hate taking three overs. The one thing though is that this division has no wins in it. <laughs> like every over under is so low. Um, yeah, well, maybe we should just be taking the unders on every team. Dude, I am I getting this team such being a Falcons a vibe from this team. <laughs> I'm getting no, I don't have a Falcons vibe from this team. I'll take the over, too. I'll take the over. Eagles, I've shot on you so much, but I'm taking your over. Don't let me down. Nick Sirianni, you got this. Come on, don't fuck it up. The thing is, here's the thing, Steve. Here's the thing. I felt like if I were the Eagles coach, I could win seven games with that roster. If I was their GM, I'm thinking I can hire a guy. I can find a staff to win seven games with that roster. That is, dude, their offense right now, like, it should be miles ahead of where they were last year, especially up front with how many guys better. they get back. And you, you, then you add Landon Dickerson, who was one of my favorite offensive linemen in the draft, one of my favorite offensive linemen in the past couple drafts. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts, I think his guy is legit. Devontae Smith adds an element that is exactly what this offense needs, vertical threat down the field, kind of what you wanted uh, Jalen Rager to be to a certain extent. Now you can let Jalen Rager kind of be that – that playmaker kind of dude just put the ball in his hands. 
Mm-hmm. I, I like this team right now. I like this team, um, at least to win seven games. <laughs> Question so, for you. What's that? Who will we end the season with more touchdown passes, Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts? Well, I think that the, the thing should be more total touchdowns because Jalen Hurts might have a lot touchdowns. of rushing touchdowns. Yeah. The thing is that Colts offense, I feel like it's just – Easy to be a quarterback on right now. I think now. so, too. And I feel like if they're going to be up in more games, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to be down. He could get some more guard. I'm going to take Wentz just because I think that Colts defense, they got like a potential top five group. So you're going to yeah. be put in a spot to just score more. Plus you got a stud running game, even though I think it might be closer than people expect. So let's move on. Last segment of the day. Steed, this is your segment here. Apparently you've had a lot of a lot of trouble making this list. It's We're going tough, dude. Steed's top ten receivers in the NFL right now, Mister Steed. I'm throwing it to you. Let's go from ten to one. Number ten receiver in the NFL for you. Okay, I think this is number ten. We're starting off with a bang. I'm pretty sure I had him at two or three last year, but uh, I'm going with Michael Thomas from the New for the Saints. Uh, this guy, I, where he was coming in as the top three receiver last year, to fall off the way he did, I understand he was very hurt, and maybe like it has to do a little bit with Drew Brees, but like the production just wasn't there, had, like it has been the best, you know. Like Slant Boy, you know, he was running into some trouble last year, and and I still think he can win the 50-50 ball. He's one of the better in the league. I mean, he's still a top 10 receiver in the league. That's no slouch. And I see him moving up. But just based off the production he had last year and the injuries, he's going to slide back like on my list a lot. And uh, at nine, I'm going with one of, my, one of my boys, Calvin Ridley. I mean, this is a guy, you know, from his rookie to his sophomore season, you saw the, the production or what it – the talent level, you know, but he could just never really play a full season and be healthy. Well, last season he was fully healthy and, and was on a tear over a thousand yards. Um, he had a, I can't remember how many touchdowns he had, but he was close to double digits, if not double digit. And he's playing most of that season last year as the number one receiver, as we all know, Julio. Well, only didn't he get a hurt halfway through the year though? He played uh, – he got hurt for, like, one game. You know, it was like – I think he got hurt for Green Bay where he was on and off the field and he didn't produce. But whenever he was, you know, healthy enough to go, he was arguably easily a top-10 receiver in my book. I, I think he might have missed one game. That was it. That same for me. Um, I, I thought that Calvin Ridley – for he's the kind of guy that I'm targeting in all my fantasy football leagues because I just think that – you are getting a guy that has the potential to lead the league in, in receiving yards at easily even a price for you as a Falcons fan, the ninth best receiver, right? Like around that yeah. price, eight, nine, seven, consistently you're getting him around there. When I think that to me, I think Calvin Ridley is like a top five type of guy. Yeah. I th- And also like he led the league last year in 15 plus yard catches with 40. You just want to talk about big play ability and like maybe a other than Keenan Allen, who's the best route runner in the league, 
you yeah, can easily say Calvin it's, Ridley. I think I think it's you know there's a top three, maybe four that are just better than everyone else. The the three proven are Calvin Ridley, not not no order right because I think Keenan Allen, Devontae Adams, those are the other two. You could easily make an argument for them over Calvin Ridley. For me, Calvin Ridley three. Then the next two that I would put Jerry Judy is insane at running routes. So that guy's a technician. Basically, mm-hmm. any receiver that went to Alabama not named Henry Ruggs is like – even Henry Ruggs has some nice little polish. He's just not top of the NFL. And then this might be a little homer, Deontay Johnson. Don't sleep on him. All right, who's number eight? I got, uh, the, you know, one of the better rookie receivers to come out for a while, at least like PFF graded him, having a 90.5 receiving grade last year, and that's Justin Jefferson. Uh, what You know, breaking the uh, – receiving yard mark for a rookie was incredible. I mean, his PFF grade was second in the league to Devontae Adams, who had an insane year last year for Green Bay. I I mean, I've you know, people might say, well, he's such a rookie, he has to ha- he has to have a, more seasons under his belt to say if he's elite receiver or not. Well, I already gave him an elite grade from last year easily and I you know, I I don't see how you cannot put him in your top 10. I agree. I honestly thought that you might have had him higher than eight, to be honest. Oh, no. It, it, get, it gets tough for me because, like, now I go with – this is a guy I'm just, like, I've always Number been seven, by the way. We're at number seven. Yeah, this is this has just been a guy I've been in love with, even coming out of Ole Miss. It's just A.J. Brown. I got him at seven. Um, I think now with Julio, you might see, like, his targets drop a little bit. But last year he put up an 83 receiving grade. Oh no, that was year one, and he ranked tenth. He posted, he generated 2.66 yards per route, and in his two years he's already played, and that's edging out Odell and AB in their first two seasons. So he's already in like very elite categories with those two guys. I think AJ Brown's easily just going to be one of these next star receivers and bust on the scene in year three for me. Okay. Next, I got I got another. I, I just think he's so underrated just because he hasn't had the quarterback. But at six, I got Allen Robinson for the Bears. You know, playing under Trubisky and Foles and maybe with Nagy just hasn't really done him suitable. But you talk about a dude that doesn't drop a pass. I mean, you pull up Allen Robinson. I, he posted – he only had a 1% drop rate last year. I, and that's with a hundred plus targets, and with contested catches over twenty one, he's he dropping the ball at one percent. I mean, that's just very unheard of. Since he joined the Bears, he's fifth in drop rate at two point two percent, first in contested catches at sixty one, and sixth in WAR. So you know, if you want a guy to go up and get it, Allen Robinson's your guy. And you know, now if you get a quarterback in there was either it's Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. If Justin Fields can actually like figure it out, I think Allen Robinson's really due for another big year. I'm surprised to see Allen Robinson this far on your list, to be honest. I don't think I, 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 always, I, I just think he's very underrated and I want to give him some credit where credit's due. You know, like if you put him on some, even if you put him on like a Falcons team or Matt Ryan, you don't think he's going to be higher on some people's list, you know? I think if he were to go to, like, if he were on, like, the Cowboys with Dak Prescott, if you replaced him um, with Amari Cooper. I don't even know because Amari Cooper gets slept on a little bit too. 
Yeah, he does get slept on. At five, I got my old friend Julio Jones still in my top five. I think just can't let him go, can't you? I can't let it, dude. He dropped on my list, though. He did drop a little bit on my list. I think (laughs) I had him two last year, so he dropped a little bit, or I had him three. It with Julio, you know, it's the injuries, yeah, are a problem. The age is still up there. He's get, he's in 30, 32 now. Well, this probably this probably be the last year he's going to be in my top five. But when he is healthy, or when he was healthy last year, he was just still a baller, man. He he was he still makes plays. Uh, just a huge, huge play potential kind of guy. And now you put him in a role with Ryan Tannehill. I'm ready to see where he goes. I don't know if he will ever regain that elite, elite stature where he's like in the top three. But right now, I still think he's a top five receiver in the NFL. He's just a guy that can do everything. Like, what can't Julio Jones do? You want to play him in any sort of role, he can do it. Oh, easily. At four, I, I think this is easily like everybody's guy's like biggest jump into their top ten, and he cracks my top. I think I had Stephon Diggs at ten last year, but I guess Stephon Diggs, Diggs at four because when you look at Stephon Diggs, you know, first of all, that trade could, couldn't work better for both teams. But Stephon Diggs was always a very good player for Minnesota, and then when he went to the Bills and was that number one guy, he did, he went from a very good player to an elite receiver. I he had a we all saw him have that crazy year, you know. It, he was just four receivers of receiving a great uh, by PFF of ninety above in the regular season. He's one of the best contested catch receivers in the game. He put he posted a sixty percent catch rate on plays uh, on contested catches. That's his highest since 2017. That That's the second best mark in the league. I I truly expect him to, you know, eat, play the same way, not eat, if not better, you know, another year for Josh Allen and this offense. I, I, we all know the Bills are going to be scary, but with Stephon Diggs, they have a true number one elite receiver. Yeah, for me, Stephon Diggs is like a perfect fit for that offense. Josh Allen Likes chucking the ball deep. Stephon Diggs, really good vertical threat. And I think that they kind of maximize not just him on like a go route vertically. I'm talking mm-hmm. like just all over the field, whether it's a corner or an out, one-on-one coverage, he torches people. And number three is probably the best deep threat in the game, I would have to say right now, especially is Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how many – times do you just turn on a Chiefs game and that dude breaks out an 80-yard touchdown? You know, it's just really crazy how the way he works and how he does. And he's still so young, too. He's like, he only has five years in this league. And um, uh, he's got the best quarterback in the game, Patrick Mahomes. So I don't see how you don't put him in your top three. I think he's very easily top three. And I expect him to put his video game numbers up even more next year. Yeah. No and surprise then, there. You know, yeah, no, no surprise. And you could argue that three is a little too low for him, to be honest. Yeah, but I just like these first two a little more, you know. Um, two is D-Hop. I mean, D-Hop has been just kind of like how Julio was for a while. You know, they everybody knew that he was just a top three receiver, and I feel like D-Hop gives off that same vibe, too, because he doesn't really talk too much. I think his numbers took a little bit of a drop a little bit, 
due to Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he wasn't really asked to like stretch a little the bit ball. of a drop, like 1400 yards ain't, ain't too bad. Yeah, but, like, dude. I'm just talking about like, <laughs> like when you look at his average depth of target, it dropped almost two yards, you know, but I think that's more due to like Cliff trying to get him, you know, and these screen sets and just trying yeah. to get him the ball a little more. I think part um, of the problem too, is that he was the only one that could actually make something happen on like when you, when you tried to run a screen or whatever, like, the other guys just wouldn't come up consistently and they couldn't really run the ball outside of Kyler Murray consistently. So yeah, I feel like they're almost also, forced like, to do that to a certain extent with D hop. Yeah. And you know, he's got D hop. The one thing with him, he's not going to drop the ball. I also, yeah, not anymore. Robinson, you know, yeah, he, he's really fixed that game, but now he's like a master at it. Last year, his drop rate was at 0.9%. I mean, that's, that's very crazy to see. I, he broke the most tackles in his in this in his position last year. I still think he's easy number two, and especially that is crazy to think about that he broke the most tackles as a, at the receiver position. I mean, because when he, you watch him on film, it's not surprising. He was but skinny. If you were to ask, because I think people almost think of of DeAndre Hopkins as like a better Allen Robinson, right? Like, yeah. Or like a, a Des Bryant almost, but you don't expect like dude, he's good with the ball in his hands, and you don't really expect it. He's he's got some sauce. The other thing with him is that he leads the the league easily in the best catches that don't count. Oh <laughs> I yeah, think he does. he's always got he these does. crazy he... one handers that, that are just called out of bounds or some bullcrap offensive pass interference or whatever. Yeah, he does have those crazy catches. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Number one is just is pretty easy. I think this is – I don't know if he's your number one, but my he number would not one be. is – He would not be. He would not be. I, I'm, I'm interested to see who your number one is. I would my, take – Monte Adams. I haven't made my list. I was too busy doing that Najee Harris analysis. I think I would take both Tyreek Hill and D-Hop over. Over uh okay, I, it's I, close just, though. It's close. Dude. It's, it's, very it's like pick your poison. They're all sick. Like <laughs> yeah, true. You're not gonna really miss on one. Like I think but they're just, all in the same bucket. Like they're all in the same tier. I'm not unhappy picking any one of these guys. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you looked at uh, Devonte Adams last year, and of course it was insane due to also Aaron Rodgers having his MVP year and Devonte Adams being, you know. His number one guy, his most trusted guy. But PFF had him graded at 92.2. That's the highest grade of any receiver. His war, his wins above replacement, was at a one. I mean, that's crazy to see out of a receiver position. And he was averaging 2.96 yards per route run. I, I, Based on those stats and him just, you know, when you get him in the red zone, it just always seems like he's scoring a touchdown too. He's easily my number one. Yeah, you, you. It's hard to cover Devontae Adams one on one. Like, I don't think you just can. really can't do it. He is ridiculous. Yeah, he really, he's just insane. But that's my top ten. You know, maybe a little shockers in there. You know, like having Allen Robinson almost crack the top ten, or AJ Brown. But um, you know, I am I, I'm surprised for one guy especially that you do not have DK Metcalf in your top ten. He was he he was a question for me. I wanted to put DK in there. There's something about like 
Because like a lot of people think DK's better than AJ Brown too. I I feel like, but I still don't see that. I still like AJ Brown more than DK. I don't know what it is about DK's game sometimes, but sometimes like I just look at him. And I'm like I don't really like it too much. It, it, like it, it might be like he drops. Like he's an incredible player and makes incredible plays and is a freak athlete and is just a beast. But sometimes like he drops passes that I'm just like, dude, you got to catch that. At least catch that. Okay, I guess the other shockers that I kind of want to hear your thoughts on. None of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers receivers. Is that because you were a Falcons fan, or is there an actual reason? A little bit, and that might have to do <laughs> with Michael Thomas, you know, falling all the way almost out of the top ten. I think I hadn't – I wanted to put Mike Evans in there. I don't, You know, like I really can't put A.B. in there. Goblin was closed. I'm pretty sure I had Goblin last year. At the end of the day, it's kind of like I like these other guys and them right now, especially. You know, I like. Hold on, it's tough, like, dude. Like, it's tough. Yeah, like I think this is one of the more hardest because, like, I was really considering Mike Evans, Godwin, and DK. I was like, I have to find somewhere to put these guys in my top ten, and I just at the end of the day, I couldn't because, like, I want to put Ridley in there. But, First of all, because I'm a Falcons fan, but also I think, you know, he just has better production than these guys. I, I think Ridley's a top 10 guy. Okay, last couple guys. Amari Cooper, the schmoop. No no Amari <laughs> Cooper in there? No, no Amari Cooper in there this year. Uh, I think he's a guy that could easily get back in there. I mean, dude, like, again, another guy that's just on that top 10 border that should honestly probably be in there, but, like, you can only pick 10 of them. Like, there's like 15 guys, right, that you could pick to be in this top 10, and just five of them get shafted. And it's just like, I have to choose one of them, and yeah. I choose Mari Cooper. Okay, the last two guys. Um, first is this is just personally one of my favorite receivers is Keenan Allen. I understand yeah. him not making the top 10. I'm not sure he'd make my top 10, but he's just the kind of guy that. I feel like should be in the top 10. Like, realistically speaking. He should be talking about it. If you were to take a receiver, he's just, you know, he's not that young, flashy, new guy. You know what you're getting out of Keenan Allen. You know he's a route-running technician. He's got good hands. Um, he's going to put up good numbers. He's just not, he's not as flashy, and he's not as new as some of these other guys, so he probably gets left out a lot. And the other mm -hmm. one is um, Scary Terry, Terry McLaurin for the Washington football team. Yeah, I, I seem like a lot of people want to put Terry McLaurin in this top ten. I, I don't know. I just couldn't do it yet. Maybe it's I, – I love his production so far, and I think, you know, he's definitely going to be a great receiver moving forward and maybe one day. But, like, if we're choosing young receivers right now, Oh, well, Steve, you cut out again, unfortunately. So I guess you're just thinking because Terry McLaurin's too young, he's just not able to crack that. I guess that that's probably the argument for some of the other guys, like the DJ Moores and some of the other rookie receivers from last year. But with that being said, that's Steve's top 10. That'll do us for this episode, episode 53 in the books. If you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. If you haven't, like, subscribe, all that jazz. Thank you so much for listening. Peace out.